Good evening, folks, and a hearty welcome to our drive-in theater. We just want you to enjoy yourselves. A gay, pleasant evening for all. Oh, a word of caution. Mom or Pop, go with the kids when they leave the car. We hope you have a wonderful time. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Dead Zone. Welcome back, all you late-night weirdos. That's Danny over there. I'm Whitney, and this is the Dead Zone Screening Room. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm good. Welcome back. It was it was a minute. Yeah, we we took a little reprieve. I I, I guess, uh, you know, shit happens. Yeah, you know, work life, the dead zone. <laughs> Sometimes you get stuck. Uh, is all I'm saying. It's it's weird. You take an exit. It's I don't know. We don't make the rules. We you don't. We just we're flying by the seat of our pants here. And our pants are crazy. I have crazy pants. We are wearing the craziest of pants here in the dead zone. Well, speaking of pants, uh, actually, this has nothing to do with pants, but I, I couldn't think of another segue. Uh, <laughs> we had a giveaway, and we have some winners. We do, yeah. Last episode, uh, which was episode 21, we had a giveaway for five digital copies of A Quiet Place Part 2, um, and I posted on social media that you could enter on both Facebook and Instagram. And uh, it was open, originally open for a week, but I ended up leaving it open for a couple of weeks to give people more time to enter since we had, uh, you know, had more time for this episode to come out. And, uh, you know, here we are with the winners. And I'm so excited to announce them now. So here we go. We have Shay C. Cooper, Jessica McCartney. Denny Geyer, Christina Budd, and Chrissy Galogli. Congratulations, you guys. Thank you so much for entering. And thank you so much again to Paramount Pictures for reaching out and, and partnering with us um, and, and letting us give away these copies. This is always so exciting for us to get to do this, and, and we hope to be able to do it again in the future. And uh, thank you to everyone that entered. It's always so exciting uh, when you guys communicate with us and interact with us and let us know how excited you guys are about our giveaways. So thank you so much to everyone. We really appreciate it. All right. Well, from one big summer blockbuster to another one, we got a new movie to talk about. We do. I'm really excited about this week's movie. It, this is another one of those weird ones for you that you remember seeing it in the theaters, but yet you couldn't remember a whole lot about the movie. Nope. It fell right out of my brain. <laughs> well, did you have any better luck retaining the knowledge the second time around? Nope. <laughs> I did not. I had to watch it four times. And I wish that was a lie. But you know what? I still enjoyed it every time I watched it. Well, th that's all that matters, really. It, yeah. I. That's all I can ask for. <laughs> well, I'm excited to get into it, but first, just to recap, a few months ago, Danny and I inherited a traveling drive-in theater, and were told to watch horror movies of our choosing to figure out what we want to add to the theater's vault, and what to leave behind in the dead zone. The only other rule is to never be late opening the drive-in for those who are able to find it, because... Yeah, the theater moves around a lot. It's never in the same place twice, and it's a mystery as to where it'll show up next. 
But if you can use your knowledge of horror and follow the clues in each episode, you might be able to figure out where the drive-in will show up next. And currently, we are in our last week of a month-long series we call Summer Blockbusters, where we watch some of the biggest horror flicks to hit the big screen over the hottest months of the year, driving us out of the heat and into the theater seats. And today we are talking about the 2009 Sam Raimi hit, Drag Me to Hell. And of course, before we get into the thick of everything, now is when I give you guys a spoiler warning. We're going to talk about all of it. So if you want to check out the movie before we spoil everything, we were able to find it on Peacock, Prime Video, and Apple TV. But if it's not your thing, that's okay too. No judgments here. We're going to break everything down for you here. And we have a lot to break down. Yeah, there's there's a lot going on with this movie. <laughs> there really is. Well, it's Sam Raimi, so... Uh, you can't... I mean, it's to be expected. It, it really is. <laughs> well, shall we get to the wiki? Yes, of course. Well, let's do it. So Drag Me to Hell is a 2009 American supernatural horror film co-written and directed by Sam Raimi and stars Allison Lohman and Justin Long. Raimi wrote Drag Me to Hell, originally titled The Curse, along with his brother, Ivan, back in the 90s. They had planned to start production after completing Army of Darkness, the third film in the Evil Dead series, but Sam would then go on to work on the Spider-Man trilogy, and all three of the Spider-Man films would be released before Drag Me to Hell even started filming. The Raimis wrote the script as a morality tale desiring to write a story about a character who wants to be a good person but makes a sinful choice out of greed for their own betterment and ultimately pays the price for it. After completing the script and finally getting the project greenlit, Raimi started casting the film. Elliot Page was originally cast for the main role of Christine but dropped out of the project due to SAG strike-related scheduling issues. The main role eventually went to Loman, who didn't enjoy horror films, but enjoyed doing the stunts during filming, which she did almost exclusively herself. The effects in Drag Me to Hell were created in many different ways, including green screen, puppets, prosthetics, and computer-generated imagery. Hundreds of visual effects ended up going into the film, so several different effect houses had to be utilized to pull them all off, including Tippett Studio, Amalgamated Pixels, Ghost VFX, KMBFX, Home Digital, Cinesoup, and IE Effects. In an interview, Raimi once addressed the amount of effects in the film, stating that he and editor Bob Morawski quote, kept adding visual effects as post proceeded. In this film, the supernatural, the unseen, is almost another character, so sequences were developed, even in post, that would suggest the presence of the supernatural, and we kept adding. The same with the sound effects, so it was a very ongoing, very live process in post, end quote. One of the earliest projects the special effects teams did was the scene in which Miss Ganush attacks Christine in her car. To film the action, which included close-ups of Christine jamming her foot on the pedal, hitting the brake, and shifting gears, the team created a puzzle car which allowed the car to be taken apart for certain shots. The front engine compartment, back trunk, roof, and all four sides and doors could be removed and replaced at will, depending on what was required for the shot. 
The film was released in the United States on May 29, 2009, and was a huge summer hit, raking in over $90 million worldwide. On Rotten Tomatoes, the film has an approval rating of 92%, with an average rating of 7.6 out of 10. And audiences polled by CinemaScore gave the film an average grade of B-. Positive critical reception of the film generally praised the film's scary but humorous and campy tone. Michael Phillips of the Chicago Tribune described the film as a, quote, hellaciously effective B-movie that comes with a handy moral tucked inside its scares, end quote. And Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times gave the film three out of four stars, stating the film, quote, is a sometimes funny and often startling horror movie. That's what it wants to be, and that's what it is, end quote. But of course, not everyone was so positive. Kyle Smith of the New York Post thought it was cheesy with too many, quote, gross-outs. Rex Reed of the New York Observer thought that the plot wasn't believable enough. Really? It's the supernatural. <laughs> you know, there's something fishy going on here. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you're, you're asking me to take a big bite here. <laughs> there's something I don't trust here. <laughs> I can't, can't put my finger on it. And Peter Howell of the Toronto Star disliked Loman's performance and thought it was, quote, just not very funny, end quote. But hold on, because bloody disgusting wants you to rethink all of that. They don't just think this film was good. They think it's great. They gave the film four and a half stars out of five, with the review calling it, quote, quite simply the most perfect horror film I've seen in a long while and is well on its way to becoming an immediate classic, end quote. The film was then ranked 13th in Bloody Disgusting's list of the top 20 horror films of the decade. That is some high freaking praise. Yeah, no kidding. The film was nominated but lost for Best Horror Slash Thriller at the 2009 Teen Choice Awards, but it did walk away with two honors at the 2009 Scream Awards with Best Horror Movie and Best Scream Play. Noise. All right, jumping into the synopsis, it says Christine Brown has a loving boyfriend and a great job at a Los Angeles bank. But her heavenly life becomes hellish when, in an effort to impress her boss, she denies an old woman's request for an extension on her home loan. In retaliation, the crone places a curse on Christine, threatening her soul with eternal damnation. Christine seeks a psychic's help to break the curse, but the price to save her soul may be more than she can pay. All right, well, are you ready to get cursed? Uh, Always. (laughs) It's every day I wake up, I'm like, please, please, please. hope today's the day. (laughs) Well, here we go. We open with the 1980s version of the Universal logo. I thought that was an interesting choice. Yeah, I kind of dug it, though. Oh, yeah, for sure. It it was totally throwback and just kind of almost immediately put me in that Evil Dead universe. Uh For sure. Well, here we are in Pasadena, California in 1969 at a very big house. And we see a Hispanic couple pull up seeking the aid of a medium named Sean Sandina because their son claims someone is after him after he stole a silver necklace from a Roma wagon despite trying to give it back. They bring the boy inside as he's experiencing visions of arms reaching out to him that no one else can see. 
The medium, Sandina, comes in and begins praying over the boy, but an unseen force enters the room, throwing everyone around, sending the boy running from the room to the second story landing, where he is picked up by said unseen force and thrown over to the floor below. His parents run down to try and get him before he's attacked again, but the floor opens up beneath him and shadowy arms emerge and drag him to hell. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> it's the title of the movie. <laughs> uh, all while Sandina looks on helpless. She vows there and then that she and said evil will one day meet again. And, and there we go. Uh, opening credits. There we go. It's a lot packed in in just a few minutes. You hope you hope you were paying attention. Hope you were wearing your floaties because we jumped in. We did, and uh, we got a nice drink, and we're just gonna hang out for a while. Yep, buckle up. Well, over our opening credits, we see what appears to be ancient text, somewhat explaining pictorially uh, that there is a curse that involves a gift. Uh, that in three days, a demon will come to collect that gift and drag your soul to hell. So next, we are stuck in traffic with our lead, and this is Christine, played by Allison Lohman. And she is commuting to work while listening to self-help tapes and repeating positive affirmations. Uh, this is one of those moments where you can tell this was written a while ago, because who does self-help tapes anymore? Yeah. I, I feel like... That was really big, probably at the time <laughs> that they wrote this. Yeah, it's podcasts now. It's podcasts, yeah. Have you heard of those? I mean, I'm familiar. Yeah, yeah. Which, check them out. Maybe we can listen to one together. I think they have one on bushcrafting. <laughs> you know, probably. They describe how they build something. <laughs> <laughs> well, we next see Christine pass a bakery, convincing herself not to grab a sweet treat, but if you catch it quickly, there is a man that walks behind her eating a cupcake, and that is composer Christopher Young, who wrote the musical score for this movie. Oh, fun. Easter egg. I love Easter eggs. So much fun. They're my favorite. <laughs> Even when I never know that they're there, when I find out they're there, I'm like, wow, <laughs> it's I'm so glad best. that I got to experience that. <laughs> Well, Christine finally arrives at the bank where she works as a loan officer. She's good at her job and has her eye on the assistant manager position, but her boss has his eye on Stu, the new guy for the job, because he's aggressive and can make that tough decision when need be. Get out of here, new Stu. <laughs> new Stu. <laughs> well, Christine assures him that she too can make the tough decisions, but he's more interested in sending her out to get them lunch which Stu asks for with spicy mustard. Get out of here, new Stu. <laughs> Fucking new Stu. That's what I would have said. I mean, like, get your guy. own spicy mustard, new <laughs> Stu. You know what you can do with that spicy mustard? <laughs> well, next we see Christine visiting her boyfriend, Clay, played by Justin Long. So Justin, of course, has a pretty impressive creepy credit history. He was in Jeepers Creepers 1 and 2, uh, Afterlife, of course, Tusk. Uh, he also did an episode of Greg Nicotero's revamped Creep Show, so check him out in that. I love Justin Long. Man, we talk about his impression of Matthew McConaughey all the time. Yeah. He does a better Matthew McConaughey than Matthew McConaughey. It's true. It's so good. <laughs> 
Well, Clay is a professor of psychology, and they are having lunch together in his office, and Christine has brought him a little gift that she came across at the bank, which is a 1929 Standing Liberty Quarter. Apparently to a coin collector, that's pretty cool, so he's excited about his pretty shiny thing and puts it in an envelope to add to his coin collection. So I looked it up, and these coins' average value is about $8, which, you know, okay, that's cool, a quarter worth 8 bucks. But if you find one in mint condition, it can go for up to 250 Oh, nice. Yeah, so keep an eye out for those quarters. I'm going to keep my eyes peeled. Well, as Christine is headed out to return to work, from out in the hall, she overhears a phone call Clay gets from his mom. The gist of the conversation is that Clay comes from money and Christine is a farm girl that isn't good enough for him and will never amount to anything. Rude. You suck, Christine. <laughs> she doesn't. She's quite lovely. She's a nice lady. And who wouldn't want to grow up on a farm? Sounds great. Well, back at the bank, Christine is in the break room getting a cup of coffee as her boss and stupid Stu are eating the lunch she picked up for them. Stu tells Christine she messed his order up because he asked for no mayo. She says, no, you didn't. He says, you know what? Don't worry about it. In that condescending way, people say, don't worry about it. That actually means you should probably worry about this. Get out of here, new Stu. <laughs> new Stu. Plus, he does all of this in front of their boss, making Christine look incompetent. And now we're mad. <laughs> now we're all mad. But quite honestly, I I'm not sure who's really right here. He never specifically said no mayo, but he did say he wanted spicy mustard, which would imply he wanted that instead of mayo. No, nope, whatever. Not to me. Is. I would have said also spicy mustard. You got to be specific with me, my homie. Come on, Stu. Stu, get it right or get out. Well, next, Christine is back at her desk and she sees Stu giving their boss some free tickets to a Lakers game because his mom has this thing on Sunday and he can't go. Basically, Stu is brown nosing his way to the top when clearly Christine is the one that's really qualified for the job. At least that's what we're to assume. I personally have not seen her performance reviews. <laughs> I don't know what her work ethic is like. She could be late every day. We don't know. How does she get along with her peers? She could like hang out in her car in the morning and like sit through the whole self-help day. I mean, obviously there's some friction with this stew guy. That's troublesome. <laughs> there's a lot to consider here. Yeah. I'm yeah. just not sure Christine is the gal for the job. She could bring like fish and bell peppers every day for lunch. Ugh, the worst. And that, you know, maybe there's some notes in the reports there about it. We don't know. <laughs> Well, as Christine is noticing Stu's latest suck-up, she begins to hear fingers rapping on her desk. She turns to see an old woman's hand with old, dirty, cracked nails and a big old dead eye. <laughs> uh, I hate it. <laughs> it pans up and you're like, oh, do not look her directly in the face. It's it's one of the, you don't know where to look. You don't want to be rude. Yeah, I don't, but it's like most, it's, it starts from the nails. Like it's not even like the eyes are, it just, it's alarming from first glance. Yeah. Those it, nails are just, they aren't clean. Self-care is important. Yeah. So there's a lot happening from, from second one. <laughs> Ground zero. 
Well, this is Miss Ganesh, and uh, she needs help uh, in more ways than one. Uh, but she is past due on her mortgage on the house she's lived in for the past 30 years. So the bank has given her an extension twice, but she just needs a little more time to get the money together. So if she could get one more extension, that'd be great. Christine says she'll talk to her boss to see what they can do for her. So she goes in to talk to her boss, but of course, giving her another extension isn't what's best for the bank, but he's going to leave the decision up to her. Of course, this is her chance to prove herself. Can she really make those tough decisions? So here's our moment. So she goes back out and tells Miss Ganesh that she's sorry. If it were up to her, she'd give her another extension, no problem. But damn it, her boss just said no, so she can't do it. Now, before we get to the dramatics that are soon to follow, please note that there are all manner of disgusting things going on with Miss Ganesh. <laughs> uh, she coughs up yellow bile and spits it into a hanky. Uh, yeah. She removes her dentures mm -hmm. so she can eat candy. There's a lot of spit. It's just a lot uh, there's so many germs like uh -oh. the whole thing I'm just like <laughs> my god there's so many sicknesses floating around Christine's desk right now you just want to douse her in hand sanitizer yeah it's just not a good time yeah you know as someone who's worked in the service industry before you know, we've all had to deal with people like this hopefully not to this extreme uh it's just one of those people you just want to help and move along quickly yeah well, of course, Miss Ganesh is upset. She doesn't know where she'll live now. Christine suggests she go live with her granddaughter. She has listed on her forms, but Miss Ganesh says she won't burden her, and there's no way she's going to a nursing home. Miss Ganesh goes to leave, but she turns back around, falls to her knees, and begs Christine to change her mind. She's also grabbing at Christine, who backs away, knocking Miss Ganesh to the ground. Christine calls over security just as Miss Ganesh starts to get up. Everyone is now staring and Miss Ganesh is embarrassed. So she tells Christine that she has shamed her. Security starts to escort her out and Christine tries to apologize. But Miss Ganesh freaks out and lunges at her. Man, scared the crap out of <laughs> her. It's very startling. Oh my God, she's just out of nowhere. She gets, like, the strength of a Sasquatch. <laughs> I mean, these, like, three guards are trying to hold her down. Uh, but the guards pull her back and take her outside. And now my two favorite things about this movie happen. One, for the first time, I noticed Academy Award winner Octavia Spencer randomly appear in the background as an extra. <laughs> She's just, she's another loan officer at the bank and can be seen in a few scenes in this movie, mm -hmm. but does not have any on-screen lines. I think you can hear her, like her voiceover at, at some point in the bank, but you know, it's, she's never like speaking on screen yeah. <laughs> in a conversation. Uh, she's credited in the movie as just a bank co-worker. So this was two years before appearing in The Help and taking home her little golden man. Uh, but she also has some pretty good creepy credits. She was in Halloween 2, Ma, and The Witches Remake. That one was actually a really fun movie. I like the original better, but that, that one was a fun watch. 
yeah, it was fun to see what they what they did with it. Mm-hmm. Well, my second favorite thing in this movie to happen is that this is the first time in this movie that we see Sam Raimi's 1973 yellow Delta 88. And this rundown piece of shit, this is the yellow Delta 88, the very same one that was used and driven by Ash in the Evil Dead series. Oh, nice. It is his car. It was originally Sam Raimi's car, and they needed a car for the movie and uh, used it, and they've kept it all these years. That's hilarious. I, I love things like that, though, that just like randomly withstand time. <laughs> And that are odd ways and just keep like popping up and making their appearances. Yeah, especially, I mean, you know, Sam Raimi's not a fool. He knows why he's so popular in the horror genre. It's because of his Evil Dead series. Mm -hmm. And and that's what fans kind of, I think, were expecting is somewhere to be a nod to that. Yeah, for sure. And this car, it kind of becomes... A character it's in itself as as a representation of Ganesh herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's what she drives, and you always know she's around when you see that car. So uh, I thought it was I thought it was a wonderful little nod. Yeah, yeah. Well, later that day, as the bank is closing, Christine's boss stops by, telling her how impressed he is with the work she's been doing on the McPherson loan. And he'd like her to take it home and finish it up so he can show it to the regional VP in the morning. And thanks to that and her crushing the soul of an old woman and basically making her homeless, Christine is at the top of the list for that promotion. That's it. That's all it takes. Corporate America. (laughs) Well, later we see Christine walking to her car in the parking garage. We also see the wind has picked up in said parking garage. I... I suppose there are some openings somewhere that is letting all this wind in. Somebody uh, forgot to close the windows. <laughs> we also see a bunch of leaves blowing in the wind. In Somebody this forgot to turn off the trees. In closed space. <laughs> I'm sure someone just has a bunch of trees in the trunk of their car. <laughs> I just, I'll just keep these here. It'll be fine. <laughs> uh, but we can also see that yellow Delta 88 is parked in the garage, but Miss Ganesh is nowhere to be seen. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, but Miss Ganesh is not parked in the car. (laughs) And I just picture her, like, sitting next to the car. But Mrs. Ganesh is parked on the street. Uh, Double parked, actually. She's going to need you to hurry. (laughs) Well, Christine makes her way to her car and can hear Mrs. Ganesh's thought. Thoughts? What? Now it's a whole, it's a sci-fi thriller. (laughs) I was so confused. I was like, oh, I don't remember this so many times by now. And again, it just keeps giving. I did not pick up on that. Well, Christine makes her way to her car and can hear Miss Ganesh's coughs, but we still don't see her. We also see Christine is bringing home a tray of office supplies. Why? Why why does does someone sit at her desk in the evening? Begs clothes at five. I don't know why she has to take all of her office supplies with her. Well, maybe that, like, proposal thing. She's, like, um, making an arts and crafts project for it. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe so. I don't know. I guess she doesn't have paper clips at home. Well, Christine gets in her car, uh, sets said office supplies on the passenger seat, and starts up the car. 
We see the Delta 88 across the way, and a handkerchief flies out from under the car, blowing across the garage to the front of Christine's car, flittering past the window to the back of the car, causing Christine to turn around, facing the back seat, where Miss Ganesh leans forward out of the darkness. Oh, it was so creepy and good. Yes, yes. And it was a nice little distraction because the second time I watched this, knowing that she was going to be in that back seat, once the camera starts to pan around, she's clearly sitting there. Mm -hmm. But you're paying so much attention to that flittering handkerchief, you half expect her to kind of materialize out of it like it's a bat or something and she's a vampire. Uh, but it was a, <laughs> but it was a nice creepy scene when she just kind of leans forward into light. You're like, oh, yeah. This whole scene is just very tense, and uh, it's very well done in like the carrying out of the jump scares and the um, grossness of things that are about to occur. <laughs> it's just yeah. a very uh, good scene. Uh, yeah, this this scene get, gets crazy. I'm going to do my best to try and describe it as much as I can. There's a lot that's going on. Uh, if you are a fan of the Evil Dead series, uh, this is this is what you've been waiting for. This, this is what you want from Sam Raimi. You're about <laughs> to get it. It is amazing. I love it so much. Uh, if you're not a fan of the horror comedy, this is where it's going to lose you a bit because you're <laughs> going to be like, what is happening? Uh, but it is such a fun ride. So here we go. So Miss Ganesh reminds Christine that she shamed her, grabs her hair, whipping her head back, Christine manages to grab the stapler from the tray of office supplies, planting one right in Ganesh's forehead, causing her to let go of her hair. Ganesh lunges at her again, and Christine gets off another staple right in Ganesh's eyelid, stapling her eyelid closed. Ganesh lunges again, grabbing Christine by the head. Christine starts to struggle, which somehow gets the car in reverse, and the car goes speeding backwards into another parked car. Christine manages to get the car into drive and get her seatbelt on, all while still struggling with Ganesh. Christine aims for another parked car, and just before impact, Ganesh opens her eye, (laughs) sending the staple flying out just as they crash into the car, and Ganesh goes flying face-first into the front dashboard, knocking out her dentures. Now Ganesh is in the front seat, sans teeth, uh, with Christine, and she jumps on her and starts gumming her chin. There's, it's too, it's so gummy. Oh, God, there's so much spit. Uh, it's, it's so... Oh, it's so wet. It's bad. I don't like it. <laughs> Christine pushes her off, and Ganesh grabs her teeth and puts them in. But just when she lunges, mouth agape toward Christine again, Christine grabs a ruler from those office supplies and shoves it into Ganesh's mouth and throat. Ganesh keeps coughing and hacking until she manages to spit it out, narrowly missing Christine's head. Christine pushes her out of the car and shuts the door before Ganesh can get back in. Ganesh bangs on the window but can't get in. Christine starts laughing at her and says, I beat you, you old bitch. And that was a mistake. Uh, You should never get too cocky, kid. Just listen to Han Solo. (laughs) Uh, Ganesh falls to the ground out of Christine's sight. Christine looks all around and can hear metal creaking, but can't see Ganesh. Finally, Ganesh stands back up with a cinder block, smashes the window, and pulls Christine out of the car. 
She moves in and reaches down, and just when you think she's going in for the kill, she reaches down and pulls a button off the sleeve of Christine's jacket. She says some stuff in Romanian, breathes on the button, and then says something about a llama. <laughs> Uh, uh, but she gives the button back to Christine and tells her, Soon it will be you who comes begging to me. And she leaves, uh, only to be replaced by a fly. She says, bye girl, see you later. It's Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> Crossover. <laughs> uh, and that's it, but man, oh, this is the best scene in the whole damn movie. It is really good. It is absolutely amazing. If I'm going to recommend this movie for anything, it is this scene so well done it is it's it's really really good and and you can really see the complexity that this would cause them trying to film this and and now you can understand why they had had to build this crazy puzzle car that they could you know take apart and move around so they could put cameras in and get all these angles there's so much going on here but man did it pay off yeah i absolutely agree i remember uh, when I first saw this movie in theaters, I was just like blown away by this whole scene, just the chaos of it, the intenseness of it, and just all all of it, the whole everything of it. It's just, it's really, really good. Well, next we see Christine has called the cops and Clay comes in to comfort her. They go get some coffee and he's going to drive her home, but she gets a weird feeling as that crazy wind starts blowing again leading Christine's eyes to the sign for a psychic. She tells Clay she wants to have a reading done. He thinks it's silly, but it obviously seems important to her, so he agrees. They enter the shop, and it's obvious Clay is embarrassed to be there and doesn't take any of it very seriously. Ram Joss, our spiritual advisor, comes in and greets them. He will read her fortune for 60 bucks, Clay thinks that's a little pricey, but when Christine offers to pay for it herself, Clay finally steps in and hands over the Amex Platinum. Gotta show off those manly moves. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rom starts the session talking about fate, which Clay then has to pull out some Freudian bullshit to try and show how intellectual study has more value and merit than spiritual study. But Rom just quotes some Carl Jung right back to him and puts him in his closed-minded, restrictive place. Rom starts his reading and can tell that Christine works with money. He also sees that something has been taken from her. A button. But then things get weird and that wind blows again and Rom gets a vision of a demon and immediately ends the session. He tells Christine that a dark spirit has come upon her and she has been cursed. So Clay takes Christine home. I mean, what else are you going to do with a curse? <laughs> uh, but has to leave again to go meet the guy towing her car. So she is left at home with her cute little kitty cat. I would not be left at home. Like, <laughs> if I was just told that I was cursed, I'd be like, I'll come with you, my homie. <laughs> we are sticking together through thick and thin, <laughs> Guess fucker. what? I am your new bestie. <laughs> I'm your shadow. <laughs> Whatever size shirt you wear, double it. Because now <laughs> we are one. <laughs> Well, she randomly decides to bake a cake because that's what I want to do after I've been accosted by an old woman who sucked on my chin and cursed me with a bad breath button. Curse cake. <laughs> Is it a fun funny cake? <laughs> well, what goes well with a curse? <laughs> well, next Christine starts to hear all kinds of creaking noises and thumps and clicks. 
everything is so loud. Uh, she looks outside to see if she can find the source of the loudness and sees a gate out front is just swinging back and forth. But then that wind blows into the house, rattling pans and breaking glass. She then sees a shadow move across the wall that at first looks like the silhouette of a beautiful woman, but then changes to a demon that charges at her, knocking her across the room. It's very dramatic. I, I feel like we're just learning here that we need to close more windows. <laughs> Make sure you close your windows and be be a little nicer to older ladies. I mean, see, who is in their house at night with windows open is what I want to know. Yeah, that's not safe. It's not. It's, I mean, that's it's not sane either. People can see in your home. Yeah, that's creepy. I can see your privacy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to see your no-no square. Put that away. Or I'm going to send my demon over there. <laughs> gonna come and squeak your gate <laughs> <laughs> wee woo wee woo wee woo hide your no no square i'm gonna keep doing it is that cake i smell in there who was that curse cake how <laughs> nice favorite. congratulations on your curse <laughs> you got one of those buttons too <laughs> well next we see clay has returned and he wants to call the cops since that woman came back but Christine tries to explain that that wasn't her and that she couldn't see who it was. Clay has a doctor come to check on her and he says it was all just an incident of post-traumatic stress caused from the incident with the old woman earlier. Christine accepts this explanation and her and Clay make plans to go stay at his parents' cabin in the woods. Hmm, a cabin in the woods? You don't say. Never heard of it. Is there a book of the dead in the basement? I doubt it. <laughs> well, I, that doesn't seem believable. <laughs> not at all. That. I'm with Rex Reed on this one. <laughs> well, here's another little Easter egg for you. So the doctor here, although we never get to see him, you only hear his voice, but he is played by actor Ted Raimi, uh, another one of Sam's brothers. Uh, so he is playing a doctor, but oddly enough, Ivan, who co-wrote this and several other of Sam Raimi's films, really is a practicing doctor of osteopathic medicine. Oh, that's interesting. What What is up with this family? We're all overachievers. Was he wearing his brother's doctor jacket? Coat? It's quite possible. Lab? You could not see him. Lab uh, vest? <laughs> It's a lab coat. Lab coat. There we go. That. Oh, yeah. We could. You said we couldn't see him. All uh, right. Yep. In so, my head, he was. He could be method and just, you know, to do that line, probably put it on. <laughs> yeah. You know, getting into it. Exactly. Uh, but let me tell you, even though we don't see him, I guarantee you, you'd recognize Ted Remy. He, he has a crazy filmography, but his horror one, you're not going to believe it. I bet I won't. <laughs> we'll just try. Are I you ready? I refuse to. No, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, he's been in Evil Dead 1 and 2. Don't believe it. Army of Darkness. <laughs> Blood Rage. Nope. Intruder. <laughs> Lies. <laughs> West Craven Shocker. Okay. Shocking. <laughs> Candyman. Okay. Maniac Cop 3. Okay, lie. Skinner. <laughs> Wishmaster. Mm-hmm. The Attic Expeditions, that's actually a movie with Seth Green, and I've never heard of it, and now I must see it. The 
Attic? Expeditions. Like A-T-T-I-C? That would be the one, yeah. Okay. It's the only attic I know. Well, at first I thought you said the annex, and then you said attic, and then I was like, well, wait. <laughs> Maybe I heard it wrong. I haven't first. heard of either one of those things, but I want to see the one that has Seth Green in it. <laughs> but hang on. I'm not done with this unbelievable <laughs> list. He was also in The Grudge, The Midnight Meat Train, which we just heard, uh, heard someone talk about the other day. Yeah. And Darkness Rising. That's probably the longest creepy credits list I've read thus far. It that, really is, I that's think. That's a lot. It is. I also feel like we need to put this Midnight Meat Train on our list. Let's do it. Okay. Has anybody, has any of our listeners watched that movie? Is it good? Because I love me some Bradley Cooper, so oh I'm yeah, I'm down. I forgot he was in it. Yeah, we need to watch that. Well, as much as I like, don't believe that list. I'm glad you shared it. <laughs> well, the boy is working, and he's doing a fine job of it. <laughs> well, next we see the couple has fallen asleep, and we see the window to the bedroom open again. Why people got these windows open? Uh, and a couple of flies come in. There are a lot of flies around anything associated with this demon. So mm -hmm. j just know there's some flies. Uh, and one of them even lands momentarily on the camera lens, taking a moment to clean his little front legs before flying off. I thought this was kind of uh, an interesting wink to the audience. Kind of like wink, wink, Adam land on the camera lens. You're part of this too, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The fly then lands on Christine's face and crawls up her nose. Hate it. Oh, it does a in one nostril and out the other kind of thing. Hate Ooh. it. And then it climbs in her mouth. I hate it. Uh, which finally wakes her up. She looks around, but nothing is there. But when she lays back down, it's the return of Ganush, who is now laying in clay spot. She gets on top of Christine and pukes many maggots and dead bug type things into Christine's mouth. It's so gross. Yeah, it's a lot. It's too much. Uh, of course, this wakes Christine up from her nightmare. Or was it? Dun, 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 dun. We do see the bedroom window is now open. Spicy. Well, next we see Clay is dropping Christine off at work and tells her to try to not piss off any old ladies today. LOL. Due too soon. It <laughs> literally just happened last night. <laughs> and then she had another incident after that. I think, you know, just give her a coffee and tell her to have a good day. He's like, uh, hey, let's not get cursed today. How about that? <laughs> Keep your buttons to your damn self. <laughs> well, Christine sits down at her desk but thinks she hears a fly buzzing in her stomach. But then Stu comes over to have her finish up his training Christine says she has a lot on her mind and wants to hold off until tomorrow, which to Stu is fine, but he'll just go and let the boss know she wasn't up to it, which of course changes Christine's mind. But then she starts imagining that Stu's hand is Ganesha's hand, clacking away with those nasty nails on her desk until she can't take it anymore and she yells at Stu to get his filthy pig knuckles off her desk. This gets Stu to leave as Christine answers her phone and discovers that her nose is bleeding. Her boss comes out and offers her a tissue, but she says she has it under control and the blood starts projectile spurting across the room, 
all over her boss, who is only worried <laughs> about whether or not he got some in his mouth. It's an epic scene. It's one of your favorites. Again, there's like just so much happening. <laughs> and I, it's chaotic, and I love every second of it. I can only ever focus on one thing, but I love <laughs> all the chaos of it. Well, Christine grabs her stuff and runs out, apologizing along the way. And Stu swoops in and steals the completed McPherson file off Christine's desk. Damn new Stu. New Stu in your dirty, filthy hands. Well, next we see Christine arrive at Kenosha's granddaughter's house. Remember the one that was listed on her forms. And parked out front is that familiar yellow Delta 88. Christine asks if Miss Ganush is there, and the granddaughter asks who she is. But then she says, wait, I know who you are. My grandmother told me you'd be coming around. Christine tells her it was the bank that took the house, and she actually tried to help Miss Ganush out. But it was her boss that made the decision to take the house, not her. There was nothing she could do about it. But the granddaughter says, are you going to stand here and lie to me on my front porch? Christine tells her no and says she's there to help get her grandmother's house back. And the granddaughter's like, really? All right. Come on in and make everything all better. So Christine comes in to find the house full of people. Like way more people than would just live there. <laughs> and that's because this is awake. And guess who's dead? Miss Ganush. And as Christine is fumbling her way through the house, she trips and falls right into Ganesha's open casket, finding herself eye to dead eye <laughs> with the old woman's corpse. Christine's weight is too much for the coffin stand, so everything comes tumbling down, including Ganesha, who ends up on top of Christine, her mouth once again enveloping her chin. What the hell is the deal with I don't like it. Her sucking on Christine's chin because then all of her embalming fluid pours out from Ganesha's mouth all over Christine. I don't think this visit went as she planned. No, I hate it. I hate it for her. I hate it for us. I hate it for everyone involved. <laughs> it's, it is really... It's, if, uh, if you enjoy stuff with the gross out factor, this, this movie's for you. <laughs> Well, next we see Christine has returned to Rom for help. He tells her he believes what's plaguing her is the Lamia. So it's not a llama. I was very confused for the first part of this movie. Llama why, demon. Why we were so afraid of a llama. Because <laughs> I've seen Emperor's New Groove, and they did not seem all that intimidating. Well, you didn't watch the unrated version. <laughs> the director's cut? Yeah. There's Emperor's a lot more. New Groove, the emperor fights back. <laughs> The Emperor's Curse. <laughs> so Lamia is the black goat, only summoned for the darkest deeds. For the first three days, the Lamia appears as a nasty spirit that torments its victims. But after that, it reveals itself as a taker of souls, and it will come to take the accursed object and its carrier back to hell. She asks if she can just burn the button, but he tells her that no matter what the condition of the button, she would still be its owner. He suggests that the demon may be appeased with a small animal sacrifice, like a chicken, but she says there's no way she's sacrificing an animal. Pick something else. 
And he just says, you'd be surprised what you'd be willing to do when the Lamia comes for you. And hands her a book on animal sacrifices. Why, you know, just a little light reading. <laughs> Something to snuggle up with by the fire. A little beach read. <laughs> if it's raining out, get some tea. He's like, here, take this to your little book club. <laughs> you and your besties can have a glass of wine and drink the... <laughs> I mean, read this. <laughs> oh, that would be so bad. <laughs> I just imagine being that one weirdo at the book club. Like, everybody else is, like, close friends, but you're that <laughs> one strange person that comes, and you're, like, it's your <laughs> month to pick out the book. Oh, God, it's Shannon's turn again. This is not going to go well. They're like, girls, everyone behave. Shannon's allowed to pick out the book, too. <laughs> Last month, we had to read the Webster's Dictionary. It's just weird. <laughs> invited her <laughs> well next we see christine at home looking over her murder book and of course our little tiny kitten has come in the kitchen looking for attention i think we don't need this written out on the wall in blood for us uh i'm sure we all know what's in our future here i hate it unavoidable at this point uh but first that crazy wind comes in again and the creaks and clanks start up as we see a shadow cross the window behind her then things go nuts as every shadow she sees starts changing into the lamia sending christine running upstairs to her room but before she shuts the door she turns and looks down the stairs it's gotten very quiet she then hears a door open and then slam shut as heavy footsteps start to come up the stairs. Christine slams her bedroom door shut and we can see on the wall she has one of those hang in there baby posters with a cat hanging out of a tree. Just in <laughs> case we've forgotten what's about to happen. So Christine gets out her phone and tries to call Clay who we see is in his office. Does he ever actually teach a class? Nope. I didn't think so. Uh, but the shot, <laughs> this shot here, it, it's in a weird forced perspective. So the phone is close to the camera and he's far away, but both things are in focus. So it just makes it look like he has a three foot tall phone, <laughs> which I probably need with my poor eyesight. I you text know. with like your fists, you just like punch your phone. <laughs> that could be fun. It really could get out your aggression when you have like... To send an aggressive text. Yeah. You get down, your phone's like shattered, and it's just like, fuck you. <laughs> it's just your text. Anyway, he misses her call, and Christine is just standing there in the bedroom as the Lamia is still coming up the stairs. We can see light from under the door, and the shadow of his hooves come into view. The battery on Christine's phone immediately drains. And an image of a screaming Ganush flashes across her fancy Motorola flip phone screen. Uh, Lamia's foot shadows then become hands and reach under the door and sends Christine flying and spinning through the air, eventually crashing into a dresser and onto the floor. Well, this is too much for Christine, so she goes downstairs, gets a knife, and starts calling, Here, kitty, kitty, kitty. Hate it. <laughs> Sad. Uh, in the regular cut of the movie, we now cut to Christine burying Kitty in the backyard. 
Uh, but if you watch the extended version, uh, they uh, which you did, yeah, they draw this one out a little more. It doesn't get too bad, uh, but you do see like some more kitty blood splatter and sad kitty cries. Yeah, I think the cries were the worst part because I didn't go into it knowing what was the difference between the regular version and the unrated version. They were the same price on uh, Apple TV, so I just decided to watch the unrated version to see if there was any difference. And it was one of those things where at this point I had already watched it with you a few times, so this was just kind of a rewatch to kind of uh, remind myself before the episode. So when I rewatch it like that, sometimes I listen to it while I'm working. And so the uh, sounds were much longer than the original version and it caught my attention. And I was like, oh, this is not what I've watched thus far. And so <laughs> that caught my attention before the actual visual effects did. Yeah. And, and there is more blood splatter than the original, but I definitely think the auditory effects are more effective in the unrated version than the visual but i definitely think either way if i think that's it's a a tough watch (laughs) in that unrated version i i prefer the that scene to be cut out (laughs) (laughs) yeah agreed i'm kind of glad i i was spared that yeah well clay arrives calling out for christine he notices blood on her sleeve but she claims it's just tomato juice and everything is perfectly fine Uh, He tells her maybe they should put tonight's dinner off, but she says she thinks everything's going to be okay now, so they should just go. So they head off to dinner at Clay's parents' house, and it's obvious that mom is a bit standoffish. Christine has brought her post-ganoush attack cake for dessert. (laughs) Uh, Her her curse cake, uh, if you will. Clay's mom asks her what kind it is, and Christine tells her it's a harvest cake. But all mom hears is it's a farm thing and she's unimpressed. (laughs) Well, the four head off to the dining room, but not before meeting the family cat who hisses at Christine, obviously recognizing a murderer when she sees one. (laughs) I also noticed that the cat's name is Hecuba. And for those that don't know their Greek mythology, let's just say Hecuba was another overprotective mother. Well, at dinner, Mom tells Christine how she thinks her job as a bank teller must get so tedious, what with counting all that money. But Clay reminds her that Christine is a loan officer and is up for a big promotion. Christine then breaks out some fancy financial jargon. Not really, she just mentions the Wall Street Journal. Uh, And she admits that her mom was an alcoholic, and somehow that's all enough to impress Mom. And now they're the best of friends and it looks like Christine may just be accepted into the family after all. Mom even tries some of Christine's farm cake. (laughs) She's like, I love curses too. (laughs) But all is not right here and Christine starts hearing loud noises again that no one else can hear. She then starts to see her own piece of cake move and when she uncovers the middle, There's an eyeball that she stabs with her fork. The conversation continues since no one has yet to see what Christine sees. She tries to eat some of the cake anyway. Uh, No, I don't eat eye cake, thank you. (laughs) Uh, But starts to choke on it until she coughs up a fly. Of course, the cake has raisins in it, so now the rest of them think it's infested with flies. 
Christine thinks she can hear Lamia banging on a door in the dining room, so unable to take the torture anymore, she stands up, picks up a glass, hurls it at the door, and says, Okay, I hear you! Leave me alone! Needless to say, Christine will not be invited to the family Christmas party. <laughs> she leaves Clay's parents' house and goes directly to Rom's because she is pissed. She tells him that she killed that little kitty and it didn't do shit. But he says that there are powerful and elusive forces they're dealing with and there are no guarantees. He tells her that he knows someone who can help her, but it ain't going to be cheap and she's going to have to come up with $10,000 by tomorrow. No biggie. Yeah. Let me just run down and check and see what I got in my sock drawer. <laughs> well, the next day she goes to her boss and asks if she could possibly get an advance on her salary for the assistant manager's position because a family member is really sick, but he says it doesn't look like she's going to be getting that position anymore. It turns out the McPherson loan that she had been working on mysteriously fell through that morning, and with everything else that's been going on with her lately, perhaps Stu is the right person for the job. So Christine heads home and goes through her house to try and find anything she can to pawn, but in the meantime, Ganesh pops in to scare the shit out of us and slams her fist down Christine's throat, like all the way down. Like <laughs> up to her elbow, all the way down. It's very aggressive. It's so, there's so much elbow down. Oh. <laughs> uh, but Christine notices her anvil she has hoisted in the air, you know, like most people do in their garage. It's strange she keeps it in hers and in her garage because I keep mine in my closet for safekeeping. Well, and that makes sense. You don't want it to get rusty. I mean, it's proper anvil care. <laughs> well, she pulls on the rope, sending the anvil crashing into Ganesh's head, smushing it and popping her eyes out. And it was a total Looney Tunes moment. It was. Anvil and all. <laughs> it really was. <laughs> I expected to say, you know, Acme Company on the sign. <laughs> Well, Christine takes all of her crap down to the pawn shop, and I don't know the last time this girl was in a pawn shop, but some roller skates and power tools ain't going to get you anywhere near ten grand, which is basically what the pawnbroker tells her. So she heads back home to drown her sorrows in ice cream. Clay comes in and sees the paltry amount of cash she's raised on the table, and he tells her he paid Rom. She says she thought he didn't believe, and he tells her that he doesn't really, or at least that he's unsure what he believes. But he knows she believes, and if it's important to her, then it's important to him. So he paid for it. Clay's a good guy. He really is. Plus, he's Justin Long. Exactly. We all need a Clay Justin Long in our lives. Love that guy. <laughs> so Clay takes her to Sean Sandina's, the medium from the opening scene who was unable to save the young boy, and leaves her there. She was told to come alone. Rama introduces her, and Sandina explains that she has waited all these years to redeem herself and destroy the beast. So they enter a very large seance room that will act as a portal, allowing them to pass to the other side to try and contact this Lamia demon, bring him back to this side, and kill the son of a bitch. So they all have a seat around the table in the middle of the room, and Sandy and his nephew brings in a live goat and chains it to the table. This can't be good. I'm not impressed with the situation. I mean, uh, uh, the cat thing didn't go well. Yeah. I didn't invite the goat. 
No one said there'd be a goat. I didn't realize this was a BYOG party. (laughs) That was not on the invite. All I have is this tiny pigeon in my pocket. (laughs) May I please gain entry to your seance party? Thank you. (laughs) So Sandina explains that she will begin channeling. And when Lamia enters her, Christine is to put Sandina's hand on the goat so she can transfer Lamia's spirit into the goat. Then Sandina's nephew will swoop in and kill the goat. Easy peasy. What could possibly go wrong? All this checks out. (laughs) Well, then the ritual begins and Sandina breaks into some James Brown with a lot of singing and uh, (laughs) eh. It's like, oh, James Brown, uh, uh, getting in a hot tub. Uh. I didn't know it was a musical. It's great. You really get more than what you you paid for with this movie. It's uh, this is this movie will keep you on your toes. Be prepared for it. So Rom tells Christine she must welcome the dead into her soul, and they all start chanting, and Sandina is singing Hakuna Matata, uh, and <laughs> then a spirit is detected in the room, and then a whole lot more spirits, and we see several human spirits arrive, but Rom tells her that sometimes restless spirits wait by the door, so Sandina sends them all away, uh, and apparently one of these spirits... I don't know which one. They weren't specific, but one of them is supposed to be Sam Raimi himself. Oh, another Easter egg. I don't think I brought a big enough basket. (laughs) 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 So Sandina gets rid of all the other spirits, including Sam Raimi. This movie's on its own from this point. Uh, But she can immediately sense that there is another spirit present and the doors start rattling and the walls start shaking and the noise of it keeps getting louder and louder until everything stops and Lamia rushes into Sandina's body. Rom asks the Lamia what it wants and they just want to invite Christine for dinner. Oh, and then feast upon her body as she festers in the grave. That's fine, right? We don't mind. Yeah, it's fine. Well, Ron keeps trying to distract Lamia with questions so Christine can grab Sandina's hand and place it on the goat's head, which she does. The Lamia's spirit indeed transfers into the goat, but now the goat starts talking. You trick me, you black-hearted whore. Good, it's about time some animals got some retribution around here. <laughs> Sandina's nephew jumps in with the ceremonial knife and runs over to the goat, but it pulls away just as he swings and he cuts the rope holding the goat to the table instead, giving the goat enough time and room to swing around and bite nephew on the hand. Christine goes over to see if he's okay, but he turns on her as he is now possessed by the spirit of Lamia, but he looks very much like the vampires on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. (laughs) Yes. Like so much so that I immediately looked up to see if Glenn Hetrick or his company Alchemy FX Studio Uh had any involvement because he did all the Buffy makeup. He's not, but I'd be like, um, did y'all take my Buffy prosthetics? Because (laughs) he looked like a Buffy vampire. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, Nephew is possessed and laughing like a creep and dancing around. He kicks over a candle on the table and sets it on fire. 
He's throwing furniture around and knocking everyone over. Then he tells Christine that he doesn't want her stupid cat, and he throws up Kitty's corpse onto the floor, which is covered in a vat of saliva. There is so much saliva in this movie. I hate it. Oh, it's a lot. Rom goes over and gets Sandina up and tells her to banish the demon. She begins to pray, holding the demon in midair as he thrashes around until red ink comes flowing out of his mouth and the nephew's body comes crashing down to the table below. Christine runs over to congratulate Sandina as Rom helps nephew up. But something's not right and Sandina collapses to the floor and dies. The ritual, though successful, was too much for her. Outside, Christine says how sad it is that Sandina waited 40 years to banish Lamia, and on the last night of her life, she finally did it. But Rom tells her she's mistaken. Mediums don't have the power to banish a demon. She drove it away from the seance, but he never entered the goat, and the goat wasn't slaughtered. So come tonight, Lamia's coming for the owner of that button. So Rom puts the button in an envelope and hands it back to Christine and tells her her only choice is to give the button to someone else as a gift. But in doing so, she is condemning another soul to hell. So she better pick the right person. Well, later Clay is taking Christine home and she assures him it's all over. But she looks up and sees Ganush in the middle of the road, causing her to scream, making Clay slam on the brakes. And it's a good thing he did, because although it was not Ganush, it was a little old man crossing the road who is now pissed that they almost hit him, and he feels he needs to tell them over and over <laughs> that they're going to burn in hell. He's so mad. Oh my god, and he just said, you're going to burn in hell! Burn in hell! <laughs> burn in hell! <laughs> it just keeps going. Well, of course, when he slammed on the brakes, everything fell forward in his car, including his briefcase and a bunch of paperwork. They arrive back at Christine's and they make plans to meet at the train station in the morning so they can have that weekend at Clay's parents' cabin. She goes to leave, but she can't find the envelope Rom gave her with the button in it. She frantically looks around on the floorboards until she finally finds it mixed with all of Clay's papers on the floor. Next, we see Christine is up bright and early and sitting at a diner, trying to find someone unworthy enough to give the button to. But no one seems to fit the bill. So she calls up old Stu and tells him she knows he was the one who stole the McPherson file off her desk and gave the tip to their competition. What? She's like, listen up, new Stu. I am on to you. You can't get your shit past me. <laughs> So Stu shows up at the diner like a sniveling idiot, begging her not to tell his dad what he did. She tells him to shut up and says, I just brought you here to give you something. You have to take it and it will become your property. He agrees, but starts crying again, so she can't go through with it. Damn it, Stu! Come on, Stu. Get it together. <laughs> you know, he may be an asshole, but he certainly doesn't deserve to go to hell. So who does deserve this, she thinks. And just then, she looks down to see the morning's paper with an obituary for Sylvia Ganush. This bitch again. 
She just keeps popping back up, doesn't she? <laughs> so she goes back to Rom, and he confirms that in the Romnichil tradition, they give gifts to their dead to take to the afterlife, since they don't consider a soul ever actually gone. So therefore, she should be able to give the button to someone who has passed on, but you must make a formal gift of it. So we see Christine driving out to the cemetery as she says, Oh, I'm going to do better than that. I'm going to get some. And this, of course, is a reference to Ash's line, Come get some, in the Evil Dead series. Love it. Love it. Love it. Loving it. Your basket overflowing. (laughs) (laughs) We then see Ganesha's hanky make a return appearance, and it comes flying toward the car and enters through the air vents, causing Christine to pull over. She exits the car and gets into a fight with the hanky that tries to strangle her by going down her throat, but she manages to rip it up, ending its attack. She makes her way to the cemetery and digs up Ganesha's grave. She pulls out the envelope with the button, raises it up in the air, and says, I, Christine, do formally give this here button thing to this old lady. Of course, I'm paraphrasing, uh, but you get the gist of it. Please note uh, also that this is all in the middle of a torrential downpour, which is filling up the now open grave. And now Christine is having a poltergeist moment and she's stuck in a muddy pool of water with Ganesha's corpse bobbing and floating in her face. There might even be some more chin sucking here. I'm not sure. (laughs) Uh, She's screaming, trying to push Ganesha off her as she's sinking further into the water And all of a sudden, a large metal cross off of another one of the graves comes crashing down, boinking Christine on the head, knocking her out as she sinks below the muddy water. Oh no, could this be the end of our heroine? Sadness ensues. (laughs) Cat killer, maybe she deserved it. Karma. (laughs) But no, it's not her end. Her hand breaking through the water's surface as she pulls her head up and gasps her air. She makes her way out of the grave as we see the sun is beginning to rise behind her. She has gifted the button to Ganush before the end of the third day, and now she stands in the rain, allowing it to wash the mud and the curse away from her. We make a nice little transition to later that morning and Christine is now in the shower as we hear her phone ring and the answering machine pick up. It's her boss from work. He's calling to tell her that the strangest thing has happened. Overnight, he learned that Stu stole the McPherson file off her desk, tried to broker his own deal at a competing bank, and then tried to blame the whole thing on Christine. Needless to say, Stu has been fired and come Monday morning, if she's still interested in that assistant manager's job, it's all hers. My goodness, everything's just right as rain. Thank goodness. We've been through a lot. It has been a ride. And the movie ends here and there's nothing else that happens. (laughs) Nothing else. That bow was so nice that we tied it up in. (laughs) I'm glad it happened. Well, hypothetically, let's just say this happened. (laughs) So next we see Christine pack a bag and make her way to the train station where Clay is waiting for her to take that trip to his parents' cabin. We also see he has a ring in his pocket and plans on proposing. 
Christine sees a beautiful new coat in the window of a shop in the station, and she buys it to replace her old one with that now-missing button, and wanting to look nice for Clay as they embark on their new life together. Once they are reunited on the platform, she thanks Clay for never stopping believing in her, at which point we all wish Journeys Don't Stop Believing would play, because you should never miss an opportunity to scream that song horribly off tune. <laughs> she also finally admits that she could have given Miss Ganesh the extension. It was her decision, and it was wrong of her. He kisses her and tells her she has a good heart. She asks if he likes her new coat. He says yes, but it's too bad she replaced the old one because look what I found. And he pulls out an envelope from his jacket pocket. He's like, uh, yeah, I found this in the car as he pulls the button from the envelope. I thought you could just sew it back on. I think you have my standing liberty coin. And of course, holy shit, if Christine doesn't flip the fuck out when she realizes what has happened. And what did happen was when they were in the car together and Clay had to slam on the brakes to avoid hitting that old man who told them they were going to burn in hell. Everything went flying in the car, mixing up the two envelopes, causing Christine to gift the Standing Liberty coin to Ganush and Clay to end up with the button. Therefore, she never got rid of the curse. The third day has now passed, and the rules say the owner of the button, who is still Christine, even though Clay physically has the button, she never gave it to him. So she is still its owner. So she has to get dragged to hell. It's in the freaking title, people. It's gotta happen. So she backs away from Clay holding the button, but this just makes her fall backwards down onto the train tracks. Clay drops to the ground and stretches out his hand to her as he looks down the tracks to see a train is coming. Christine turns to see the train at full fucking speed, mind you. I, I, why is this train coming into the station so fast is I what I want to know. It's like, are people just supposed to jump on real fast? It's like, oh, fuck, here it comes, go! I'm running late, everybody go. jump on when you Hold can! Hold coffee! Uh, well basically it's too late to even have time to attempt to get her off the tracks and it quickly barrels on top of her but not before several hands reach up from the ground wrap around her and drag her to hell all while clay looks on horrified grasping the curse button and bam (laughs) drag me to hell and roll the credits the sad thing is, is Mrs. Ganesh already has that coin, and so <laughs> she doesn't even really care about it that much. She's like, this is one of those stupid $8 ones. Do not come back here unless you got a two fifty. You hear me? Take your other buttons, what I'll do. <laughs> Maybe a zipper, too. You keep mouthing off. <laughs> and that's it. That's our movie. It's It's such an interesting movie. It's fun. I had some issues with it, but I don't think that took away from my overall enjoyment. Yeah. Uh, there's some things I would have changed. If if it was just that car scene, holy shit. 
I mean, knocked it out of the park. Yeah. And then it wouldn't even be a movie. It would just be a car scene. Yeah. Uh, my biggest issue was the casting. Yeah. And I don't. I certainly don't want to take anything away from our, our fine actors and actresses we had in this. Uh, in other things, they're perfectly fine. Uh, I just think there was a couple of them that uh, comedy is not their strong suit. Yeah. And for this type of film, this campy Sam Raimi goofiness, you have to, you, you got to freaking be Bruce Campbell to pull it off. <laughs> you, you have to. You got to be able uh, to have that sly humor. And unfortunately, I, I don't think... Allison Lohman had that. Mm -hmm. uh, I I also wasn't too impressed with uh, Dilip Brow, who played Ram Joss. Uh, he's a fine actor. I think he's fantastic. He was in uh, Inception. I, I enjoyed him in that. I, again, I think there were moments that he was supposed to, there was just supposed to be a little something funny there, and he didn't play it that way. And I think some things got lost. Yeah, yeah. That's definitely understandable. I, like I said, saw this in theaters, and when I left the theater, it left my brain. <laughs> and then uh, we watched it in preparation for this episode, and it left my brain again. And then I watched it like two or three more times, and it left my brain each time. I don't know why. And it's such a bizarre thing to know that like every time I watch this movie, I just can't remember much about it every time. But, like, when I'm watching the movie, I don't have a bad time. And I don't, like, it's not like I am I feel like I'm slogging through it or that I feel like, oh, I can't wait for this to be over. Like, it's a pretty steady ride. Like, mm -hmm. I know I don't feel like I'm, I'm it gets slow in the middle or it gets lost oh, or anything yeah. like that. Oh, uh, yeah. You're never going to get bored. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I enjoy the ride the whole time through. So, I don't know why when it's over my mind's just like okay that was fun dump like it just <laughs> refuses to remember it so it's it's really interesting uh and and uh, Allison Lohman I uh enjoy from other movies but I I definitely can agree because other movies that I've seen her in um are aren't horror mm -hmm. and so I it was really interesting to actually see her in a horror role because this is my first time and especially some of the lines in this movie like the one in um I think it's the grave whenever she's like aggressively like hitting her with the shovel mm -hmm. um and like calling her a bitch and everything it's just completely out of like any role that I had seen her in right and so yeah it was it was very uh bizarre and so and yeah and in the other roles too she always kind of plays like serious characters and so yeah I just don't know that that comedy is is her thing that's fine that's not everybody's thing at all and uh yeah I I feel like maybe if somebody else in this role maybe uh the movie would have landed a little bit more um for me but I don't know. It's it's such a it's so weird this movie for me. I don't know how to feel for it. <laughs> yeah. Really what did it for me with Loman's performance. And I don't want to sit here and hype on her performance. Like I said, another thing she's just fine. But her big line the you know when she is on her way to do her what we believe is her final showdown with Ganush and the corpse and she's going to give this button away. Uh, and you know, it, it, 
it's our heroine going to her final battle and her battle cry, you know, I'm going to get some. And it's this supposed to be this big payoff moment. They're like, fuck yeah, you know. And and also here's this callback to this iconic series, this Evil Dead series that, that so many people treasure and love. And it, it just, it fell flat and it didn't have any kind of real impact. It was kind of like, Okay, go well. Go get some then. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I love her uh, in other movies, and it's it's funny because uh, I think even before we started watching this, I was like, "Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to watch Allison Lohman." Like I haven't seen her in a movie in forever. And then we watched this and I was like, okay, so I really want to show you other movies. <laughs> this is not a true depiction, I promise. So yeah, this is not a drag on her at all because I promise there's there's other movies that she shines in. I just, I agree. I think there's a specific type of person that you, ha- you have to be to be able to do like slapstick horror comedy. It's just, it's hard to do you can't just pull anybody to do that type of role and for it to land well. Yeah. I I mean, because if you go into this movie not understanding the mind of Sam Raimi and I guess his brother who helped write this and and the kind of humor that you're in store for, it it can be very off-putting if you're not expecting it. You know, up to the point where we have this car scene Yes, we've already had a little bit of a gross-out factor with the scene of Miss Ganesh in the bank with all the taking the teeth out and just, oh, that's gross. But if you didn't know to expect this comedy coming, when you get to this car scene, you're going to be like, what in the hell is going on? Why is this so goofy? Yeah. And, you know, it could turn some people off if, if they don't have an understanding of what they're getting themselves into. But, that you know, I did, and, and that was the part that I absolutely loved the best, so... Yeah, and it's interesting that you say that because I know that in researching this movie for the podcast, I was looking up like different YouTube videos and other podcasts, listening to other people's opinions about it and everything. And somebody brought up a good point that they were concerned about this being like younger generation's first Raimi film and and maybe getting a little bit of a bad taste in their mouth and not wanting to go and watch Evil Dead. Um thinking that it's similar you know because this uh just didn't land well with some audiences and stuff and Mm -hmm. so yeah I think maybe if this didn't land well with you and you know you haven't seen Evil Dead I would say definitely still give Evil Dead a chance uh because I think the original Evil Dead yeah yeah absolutely I agree Evil Dead is what this should have been you know (laughs) it should have been more Evil Dead-ish in the sense of you know that humor really needed to come across and it it does like in the car scene and really in those parts when Ganush comes in you really get that kind of silly horror comedy that you expect from Raimi uh and and I wanted more of it yeah yeah all right well I suppose we got to get to some prompts I'm ready you ready to kick them off yeah let's do it all right so what was your popcorn spiller so I think it's it's got to be the obvious uh, parking garage scene for me. It was really just kind of it for me. That was the the jumping off point of just kind of the, the chaos that ensues within this movie, which is just um, a lot of fluids, 
um, a lot of open mouths, um, a lot of handkerchiefs flying all over the place, and jump scares. And I was here for it. I enjoyed it. And just generally parking garages in uh, are creepy. They are. They're very foreboding. Yeah. So just this whole, the, the whole ambiance of the scene, I'm not vibing with. And so I was already anxious. And then here here she is in the back of the car seat, which I hate. I hate. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it so much. Uh, so, yeah, that was my popcorn spiller. It would be my popcorn throw. Yeah, if, popcorn it, thrower. If I could, because I want to throw my popcorn at her for hiding in the back of the car. <laughs> Well, I, I guess we kind of had the same answer. I did not say the whole car scene as a whole was my popcorn spiller. I, I just went specifically for when Ganesh shows up in the backseat. I, I thought that was so well done. Yeah. And just and not that it startled me and made me jump. It yeah. was just totally creepy and eerie. And it had the exact effect he was going for. And he pulled it off. I thought it was amazing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really good. So who is your scene stealer? For me, it had to be Ganesh. Every time she was on screen, you just had to wonder what goofy, disgusting thing she was going to do next. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There wasn't a repeat gross thing that she did. She just one-upped herself every time. Oh, I mean, there was a lot of chin sucking, but <laughs> sometimes it was Very saliva. True. Sometimes she's you know throwing up embalming fluid. So yeah, she she put some twists in there. Yeah. She likes to keep you on your toes. <laughs> Keeping it fresh. <laughs> Gotta keep the kids interested. <laughs> what about for you? Who was your scene stealer? So, for my scene stealer, <laughs> I got thing, I got uh, fancy this week. Uh-oh. Because, you know, normally this category, I think we usually go with, like, somebody that really kind of stole the show, stole the movie for us. Just, sure. Well, it's, it's, it's in the it, title. It is. Yeah. Scene stealer. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but for me, this one was somebody that really stole one specific scene, and they do every single time. Because, and here's how I know this, uh, well, I guess I should say who what the scene is. So okay. the scene is in Christine's office. Um, there's the scene where she gets the bloody nose yes. and excessively bleeds all over her boss. Yes, that happens. Yes. And then her boss, which I can't remember her, his name, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sure it's important, but I can't remember. The character's name? Yeah. Uh, that would be Mr. Jax, yeah. Jax, that's right. All right. Him, uh, he can't stop yelling about if he got any in his mouth. Yeah, he's very concerned. Yeah. My and, thought was, wouldn't you be able to tell? Yeah. And that's what I love so much about it is that he's asking everybody but himself. Yes. And I love that he's consulting other people that asking if he got something in his own mouth. And it's so distracting that I've watched this movie now a total of five times. <laughs> Um, including the first time that I saw it in theaters. And it took me every single time until this last fifth time watching it uh, to notice that Stu took the files off the desk. Now, I know it happens because obviously it's mentioned in the movie. I wasn't right. like thinking the movie was lying to me. I just never saw it happen because every single time I'm focused on the boss sitting there asking everybody <laughs> if he got blood in his mouth. And it's just hilarious because he just repeats it over and over again and nobody's responding to him. And then, yeah, it wasn't until this last time that I actually saw that Stu took the files off the desk. And so I was like, okay, he's a scene stealer because I've just always focused on him yelling at people asking if he got any in his mouth. So, yeah, it's uh, 
her boss in that one scene. Uh-huh. So I'll, I'll take it. Okay, I, good. I think that totally works. I'm glad. Uh, actually, Mr. Jax, the boss, that that's actor David Paymer. He, he's another one of those character actors. It's something you see him and you go, oh my gosh, what do I know him from? And he's been in practically everything. He, he's another one of those guys. He's always got a job. But he was in one of my favorite comedies from the 80s, City Slickers. Did you ever see that? I have not. It's not horror, but dang if that's not a great movie Billy <laughs> Crystal uh, but yeah he was in that love David Paymer alright well moving on then what did you have for your gorgasm so for me that's going to be the bedroom scene uh, where Christine's having her nightmare slash like sleep paralysis episode whatever it is and the old lady like rolls over on top of her and maggot vomits in her mouth <laughs> yep uh, uh, that'll do it. Yeah, that was that was mine. All right. It's very effective. It looks very real. I hate it. Uh, I don't like bugs really, <laughs> uh, and I and I don't like them in my mouth, and I don't like old ladies on me in my sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I should leave. Ah. <laughs> I was gonna say, and if you pair that with throwing up in my mouth, that's even worse. Ooh. And you've literally never done Nor that. Nor would I. I was saying, if you do, <laughs> get out of here. Uh, so yeah, that was, that was it for me. So All right. what about you? Well, you know, with this movie, you could pick just about any scene. Yeah. There uh, so some many. of them, uh, but this was not so much gore as it was gross out. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. So it depends on what you're willing to take. There's a lot of puking and saliva and just grossness mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as opposed to true gore. Yeah. There's like not guts a, and blood. Yeah. There's not a like lot that. of blood. Uh, unless, of course, you see that extended cut with poor Kitty. And her nosebleed. Uh, and all the yeah, blood the, that gets in her boss's yeah, mouth. The the nosebleed. I saw it <laughs> in his mouth. Uh, but I went with just the entire car scene. Yeah. Just, there's, just from when her eye is stapled to when it pops open and her teeth fly out and so much gumming of the chin and just... <laughs> There's a a lot going on, yeah. and it's it's gleefully wonderful, gortastic. Yeah, gorgasmic. Gorgasmic. Yeah, I agree. It's 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 such a good scene. So that leaves us next with memorable mortality. Who did you have for that one? Uh, well, we don't get a whole heck of a lot of deaths here. Yeah, uh, not a lot to choose from. Uh, but I went. With when Christine gets dragged to hell, I kind of felt like we were owed that. You know, it was a payoff. It's like, well, yeah, it's called Drag Me to Hell. Mm -hmm. And sure, we saw the poor young boy at the beginning get dragged to hell, but we weren't invested in him. Uh, And so I thought it was a nice little twist, even though I saw it coming 10,000 miles away. Yeah. As soon as they showed that scene where they're having lunch in his office and he takes the quarter... The camera lingered too long on when he put the envelope in the briefcase. We just uh-huh. sat there and stared at it for yeah. half a beat too long. And anytime a filmmaker does that, they're purposely trying to make sure you notice something. And of course, my brain goes, well, that right there is going to be our twist in our movie. You're, yeah. you're wanting me to see this. And so when Rom puts the button in the envelope at the end, I go, well, there it is. So I knew that this was going to happen. Uh, um, but it doesn't matter. I still have fun. Yeah. 
that's ultimately who I ended up choosing as well uh, for my memorable mortality. I remember whenever I first saw this in theaters, uh, I literally out loud said, what the fuck when this <laughs> happened? And I think, uh, you know, 2009, I was not, you know, I was not aged like I was, like I am now. I'm not, I wasn't as fine of a wine like I am now. All right. Uh, I wasn't full of wisdom like I am now. So I, I literally truly had no idea what the fuck was going on with this movie. Uh, in all honesty, like I really, I walked out and I was like, what a mind fuck. I have no idea. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I mean, it, it, it really does like take you dissecting movies sometimes to appreciate like certain scenes. And mm. so it's, it, it, it's taken me watching it a few times to appreciate the scene and appreciate, um, the different questions that the scene can like raise for yourself, you know, cause I feel like, um, for me, it kind of begs the question of, you know, did she deserve it or didn't she deserve it? You know, the ultimate ending of, mm-hmm. of, of being drugged to hell, for lack of better words. And uh, I, I li- again, I think I've talked about this before. I like those uh, moments where you, you get to decide whether you feel the character uh, deserved that treatment or that they made the right decision or that, you know... Um, the decisions that they've made thus far are right, you know. Uh, so I really like that The even after five times now watching this movie, <laughs> that the ending, while I obviously it's no longer a twist and I see it coming every time, that I can still appreciate it and that it still continues to like kind of give me pause and, and, and allow me to kind of sit there in my head and kind of think about things each time. So yeah, that was, that was it for me as well. Um, like you said, there's not a whole lot to choose from, but it, I think I like it because the endings evolved for me, mm-hmm. um, so much from the first watch to now. Well, all right. That just brings us to the big question. Vault or do we leave it behind in the dead zone? I, it's I I it's tough because like I said when I'm watching this movie, I'm vibing I'm having a good time and I'm I'm cool with it being on, but then when I turn it off it leaves my brain, <laughs> and it is it, it's like I don't know if it's one of those that I would pick up and and actively feel like I need to show somebody you know what I mean? Uh, okay, yeah. So I don't know, I don't know. All right, well for me, I'm gonna put it in the vault. Uh, just for the car scene alone, uh, absolutely, I want people to watch that scene. Yeah, I'd yeah. be like, oh, you know, the movie's just so-so, but damn, it's worth it for this one scene. Yeah, and, you know, I ha- I had fun, and like you said, when you do watch it, you do have fun. So heck yeah, this is something I'd have in my drive-in and and keep on hand and have a good time, grow some people out. <laughs> That's true. The gross out factor is definitely worth it. <laughs> I feel like that that makes it makes it worth it. For the the gumming and the vomiting and the curse cake? Come on. (laughs) Uh, Who doesn't love a good curse cake? And if you're going to come to our drive-in and see this movie, remember it is BYOG. I do not provide your goats, (laughs) and I won't provide your goats. We do not have goats in the concession stand. Don't ask. We don't. We get asked all the time uh, because there are goats in there, but they're mine. Um, And that's that's honestly the rules of the drive-in, so... Um, if you didn't read them at the check-in, that's your fault, uh, not mine. So everyone knows, fine print says, "Do not touch Danny's goats." <laughs> read it and weep, fools. Bring your own goats. 
Well, that's going to do it for us. Episode 22 is... In the can. In the can. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Dead Zone Drive-In on your favorite listening platform. And if you're looking for a way to support us, we would be so grateful if you would leave a rating and or review. And if you screenshot that review and send it to us, we're going to send you your very own Dead Zone Drive-In sticker for free. That's no monies, honey. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email us at deadzonedrivein at gmail.com. And if you're wanting to reach us by snail mail, our address is P.O. Box 12665, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, 73157. We'll be sure to pick it up while we're driving through town. Next, be sure to cruise down to our show notes where you'll find a link to our socials and our Facebook group. Lastly, be sure to seek us out next week as we'll be kicking off an exciting new series with Hereditary. If you want to check out that trailer, don't worry, we've got you. That link is also down in the show notes. And of course, a big thank you to our house band Slime and the Maggot Boob for kicking our asses in a spicy game of taboo. They won off the word apostrophe. Mike said, it's like a comma, but it's up in the air. And they won. Meanwhile, I get heavy, and I can't say anything other than heavy. <laughs> I suck at that game. It's okay. It's okay. We all can't win. And remember, if you're looking for the Dead Zone and want to join us for a weekend screening, if you've listened to this episode in its entirety, you'll have been provided with all the information you need. Don't forget your tickets. Good night, folks, and please buckle up. We'll be waiting for you. <laughs> Excuse me. <coughs> kitty. <coughs> There's kitty hair all over <laughs> my dang mic cover. Did you inhale Josie hair? I think I did. Oh, no. <laughs> I like how you just immediately blame the cat. Jackie, <laughs> <laughs> this is somehow your fault. <laughs> And I like how she just slept through the whole thing. She <laughs> did not give a fuck. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.